I was hoping that maybe we can finish Deuteronomy today. I found this as I was looking for Dave Brees' Five Points of Calvinism. And um, I wanted to bring a little bit of that to you today. But we'll start with chapter 30. Remember we last week saw about the curses and the blessing. Moses is telling them just before they get into the Promised Land that if they will be obedient and do what God tells them to do, he'll bless them in every possible way. And if they aren't obedient and worship, mainly the worst thing is worshiping other gods, idols. And if they did that, then he was going to punish them. And we know how he has punished them down through these millennia. And um, if God will do that, like send them to Nazis and to Russians and be killed, millions of them, what will he do with the unbeliever? if he does this with his own people that are disobedient. So don't worry when God says, wipe out all the Canaanites. They needed wiping out. They were so, so wicked. So anyway, we come to this last part and the last verse of chapter 29, 29 is the secret things, and I love this verse, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed, now what's revealed? The Bible. You know, there are a lot of secret things that we don't know, that we wonder about. Many things, many questions. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. All the words of this book, this law, but the book, it means really the whole Bible. So before we start, let's ask God to bless us. Lord, we just thank you that we have this Bible, that we can see the things that aren't secret that we can see the things that are revealed that you want us to know. And you want us to know so many things. But one thing leads to another. And there's no passage of Scripture we read in Corinthians that doesn't have a mate someplace else. So if we wonder about a verse, there's a mate to that verse someplace else that will bring it to light and explain it to us. So Lord, we ask that as we look into your word, that you bless us in a wonderful way. Bless our families. You just know each family and each child born into each family and grandchild. And you know all of the problems. You know every need. And Lord, we just ask that you would be with us each one in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to just tell you that yesterday I went, I told this to Anne, I went to the post office and uh, there was an awfully long line. There was one fella, and he was very efficient, and he was doing it as best he could, but the line was really long. I thought, why did I get here at this time of day? But anyway, I waited. Patience, as you know, isn't my most wonderful virtue. <laughs> so I'm waiting in line, but enjoying seeing how proficient he was, this fella. And I get up to the front, and he said, hi, Margaret. And I, I said, well, now, who are you? And he said, I'm Ann's son. He's worked for the post office how many years? Long time. A long time. Anyway, he is so good at what he was doing. You know, a lot of them are so slow in yeah. getting everything done. And pro He's been there a long time, and you could tell he knew what he was doing. And so he processed everybody, and we had a wonderful time to talk. And to get acquainted. Yeah, to get acquainted. So now the line was getting longer. But I tried and I said, now people are behind us. You'll have to make up for this in a hurry. But anyway, so every day, wonderful things happen. You know, and it's just it's good to see him and to, and to tell him that I'm going to be praying for him regularly. So in this 30th chapter, it said, now it shall come to pass, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you. That brings me to mind with Kirby, that you and I who love the Lord and represent him, every place we go, we don't know who's watching us. I mean, I didn't recognize Kirby. I could have come and gone. If he hadn't said anything, I would have known he was Ann's son. And if I'd been nasty or used bad language or something, but see, they're watching us wherever we go. So we need to remember that we represent the Lord on the street, in the grocery, wherever we are. It's a wonderful way to reach people, really. And like in the department stores today, there so many of them hardly speak any English. And I always say, now just tell me, where are you from? And they would tell me where they're from. 
and I think it's South America, but no, some of them are from Egypt, some of them are from, uh, one was from Romania. Romania, but she kind of had a Spanish accent <laughs> that it sounded like. But so then you get acquainted, then you have some way, bring in the Lord, some way, he opens a way to do this. So that's what we're supposed to be, uh, his witnesses. We don't need to know much, but we need to know something. And what we do know, we can tell them. So it came to pass after these things, that when all these things come upon you, Moses said to the children of Israel, remember they're on the east side of the Jordan, looking across the Jordan, and they could see Jericho, they could see the mountains behind, and they were Ai was up in the mountains, and Jerusalem on beyond that. They could see all that, but on this side were mountains also. So they're in kind of a valley. So evidently, the Jordan River is in a big, huge Jordan River Valley, and mountains on both sides. And the mountains on the east, or Mount Nebo, is where Moses is going to die at the end of Deuteronomy. Now it shall come to pass, when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God drives you. If you worship other gods, that really infuriates me, and I will let you be taken where that's all they worship, are false gods, and you'll be amongst the worst heathen you could imagine, and they will abuse you and kill you, and so I'm going to drive you there. But, and if you return to the Lord your God, and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back. Now see, bring you back from captivity and gather you again from all the nations. I think he's doing this today. I was trying to find my book last night by Joel Rosenberg, The Epicenter, but could I find it? I must have given it away. But anyway, in there, he talks a lot about this, that God is not through with Israel, and he's bringing them back in our day. I mean, 1948, they were given a land again. And it's, it's a wonderful thing what they've done with that empty, barren land that it was swampy and, and mosquito-ridden, and now it's blossoming like the rose. It's beginning to. But imagine what it'll be when Jesus comes back and rules over that land. And so he will bring back your captivity and have compassion on you, gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. And this is Ezekiel 37, 24. He's going to do that. But I think he started doing it now. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts of heaven, from there, even to China, and you know, from Israel, imagine South America. They're all over the world. And so if any of you are driven to the farthest parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. Remember, it's the center of the land mass of the earth. Dr. Morris said that they have computed this, and Jerusalem and Babylon, that area, is the center of the land mass of the earth. And so you can get there from any part of the world. It's the same distance. He will bring you to the land your fathers possessed. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So this means that they're going to have a change. Like in Jeremiah, there's coming a new covenant and I'll give you a new heart and you will love me and you won't want to worship idols anymore. Also, the Lord your God will put all these curses, all the curses that we read, on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you. And you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments, which I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. If, see the if, this is conditional. Uh, the Abrahamic covenant was unconditional. He's going to do what he says to Abraham and his family. He will do it. But now, this is an if. 
if you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul for this commandment, which I command you today, it is not too mysterious for you. Now, the Apostle Paul uses this to explain something else about salvation in Romans chapter 10. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But anyway... Here's what Paul quotes. It's not mysterious, this commandment, nor is it far off. It's not in heaven. Moses is giving it to them right there, looking at them. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go across the sea for us, bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Now let's turn to that passage that's so familiar in Romans chapter 10. This is a, well, I think we have it in the front of our church on one of the banners. 10.6. Let's read the 10th chapter. Well, the last verse of 9 says, I'm going to lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him, so this stumbling stone and this rock is a person. Who is it? It's Jesus. And so God is saying, I'm laying in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And Paul says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. Like some of the priests, like Paul, before he was converted, he thought he was doing God's will to go out and, and get Christians and bind them and kill them and put them in prison or do whatever he needed to do to them, to do away with this way, this stumbling stone and this rock of offense. But so they're ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness, which is of the law, that the man who does those things shall live by them. That's what Leviticus 18, 5 says. If you do these things, your sins will be covered over, atoned for. They won't be gone, but it will take care of them until the rock of offense and the stone of stumbling come, It'll, until Jesus comes. That was how they had their sins covered over till he came. He said, the man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Now, so he's quoting from Deuteronomy 30. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is from Sheol to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? What does the righteousness of faith say? That the word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is, Paul says, the word of faith which we preach. What is it? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you tell the Lord that you believe in him. You don't have to, I don't think it's telling somebody else necessarily, but you tell the Lord that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You need to know that verse. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you have to believe in the resurrection, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they haven't heard? And how shall they hear without somebody to teach them, a preacher or an apostle? Or in the Old Testament to tell them about the one that's coming, the prophet. And how shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written from Isaiah 53, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, 
Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And I have in my Bible a quote from D.L. Moody who said, I prayed for faith and thought that faith would come down and strike me like lightning. Then I read here that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I began to open the Bible and read it, and my faith has been growing ever since. That's what he said. And that's exactly what will happen to you and me. Paul said, I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound, or the gospel, has gone out to the whole earth. And how has it gone out? It's gone out from the day one through the gospel and the stars. When God named the constellations, named the stars, Adam and Eve knew them. They knew that a virgin would come and bear a son. They knew he would die on a cross. They knew he would rise from the dead and come back as a mighty lion to do away with all of his enemies. They knew all of this. How? By the names of the stars in the constellation. The, the ancient Arabic names tell the whole story of the Bible before it was written. 2,500 years before it was written. So they all knew. That's how people knew in the Old Testament time. Their sound has gone to all the earth, their words to the end of the world, Psalm 19 says. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses said, and this is from Deuteronomy 32, we said last week, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will anger you by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and said, I was found in Isaiah 65. I was found by those who didn't seek me. I was manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, Isaiah 65, all day long I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. We see that, don't we, all through the Old Testament. We've seen it all through Deuteronomy. This is where he got it from. He quotes Moses in chapter 30. And so he said in verse 15, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. See, now that's exactly what he did, didn't he? I've set before you life and good, death and evil. I'll bless you if you do this, and I'll curse you if you don't, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away, so that you don't hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth. Moses is saying that He said, I'm calling heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, Moses said, choose life. Now, what does that teach, that there's free will or no free will? Now, the Calvinists, in the five points of Calvinism, I looked this up again, and Dave Brees writes, there are five points, it's called TULIP, total depravity, unconditional election, unlimited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. All of them are wrong. But now notice what he said here. According to Calvinism, you can't choose life because Total depravity. By this, the Calvinists mean that the sinner is dead in trespasses and sins. So when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree, they were dead in trespasses and sins and totally unable to respond affirmatively to the call of God. They couldn't have even worn fig leaf aprons to hide. They were totally unable to respond yes to God. Therefore, the person must first be regenerated, after which he repents and believes the gospel. So they've got it all backward, don't they? You first have to be regenerated, and then after that you repent and believe the gospel. Total depravity, therefore, denies any instrumentality to the human will in the matter of salvation. One, therefore, is saved not by choosing Christ, but by divine fiat. That is, he's chosen of God, and this is the sole and only basis of salvation. Either you're chosen or you're not chosen. You have no choice in the matter. But if you're chosen, that's good. But what if you aren't chosen? Well, that's too bad. In this point of view, what does it mean to be dead in trespasses and sin? The scripture says, and you has he quickened, this is from Ephesians 2, you as he brought to life 
who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. There is therefore no doubt about the fact that the Bible teaches that the sinner is in a state of spiritual death. However, what exactly does this mean? Does it mean that the unbeliever is devoid of free will? or any volitional capability that he has no power to choose. Moses said, choose, choose. Well, if this is true, you don't have any power to choose. If there, there is but one way we can answer this question, we must find an account in the Word of God as to the spiritual capabilities of a person who is innocent and then the capabilities of a person who has sinned and is therefore estranged from God. The only such person that we have represented in the Scripture is Adam. Adam was given instruction by God concerning many things, especially the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of that the Lord had said, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat thereof you shall surely die. Genesis 2:17. Despite these instructions and the deadly warning, Adam did indeed eat of the forbidden fruit. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit, therefore, and ate it and gave to her husband with her, and he did eat, Genesis 3, 6. We therefore know that Adam stepped from innocence into spiritual death because God had exactly warned him of the consequences of eating. But thank God this is not the end of the story. The scripture tells us that subsequent, after eating the forbidden fruit, Adam heard the voice of the Lord calling to him. From the subsequent account, we know that though he was in a state of spiritual death, Adam could hear the voice of God, feel shame because of his sin, respond affirmatively to the divine call, allow himself to be covered with the coats of skin. We can therefore learn that spiritual death does not mean the inability to respond affirmatively to the will of God. Therefore, it cannot be shown that total depravity is in fact a spiritual truth. And then this unconditional election, this to the Calvinist means that the sinner has no choice, but he's saved on the basis of being elect of God. Now, just remember that everyone, including Martin Luther, taught this and it came out of the Roman Catholic Church and every church that came out of the Roman Catholic Church in the Reformation believes this. Our country was founded on this. So Dave Reese and me, and if you believe like this, we're the minority, we're not the majority. And Dr. Ryrie says, just spreading like wildfire over all America again. It says, alas, once again, the scripture does not verify this point of view. Rather, scripture announces that the human being is elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. How? Through setting aside of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 2. In this revealing passage of scripture, we have the announcement that election is not unconditional, but rather it is conditioned by the foreknowledge of God the Father. God sees in advance that the sinner believes the gospel and consequent to his believing the gospel, he becomes one of the elect. So when you believe, you're elect. Not the other view, you're elect and then you're going to believe whether you want to or not. But you believe in Jesus and then you're one of the elect. If you don't believe in him, you're the non-elect. I remember Dr. Criswell saying, the believers are the elect and the non-believers are the non-elect. Anyway, that's all we'll say about that. But Moses said in verse 19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life, that means life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live. So evidently they had the ability to choose. So write in your Bible a good example in the Old Testament of free will. Because this may come up with you one of these days. It will come up with you, whether your children marry Calvinists or whether your grandchildren are dating a Calvinist, whatever it is, so that you'll know the answer that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life. Oh, and let me just say that this view, in one of the papers I have, says it has a low view of the resurrection. 
And I remember this very clearly when Carolyn and I went to the Oberammergau to see the Passion Play. It was very, very Catholic and very, very much like this. It just dwelt so much on the crucifixion and how they loved to have all the blood flowing and a blip on the resurrection and hardly a word. And you see, it's the resurrection that is the power. We know he died on the cross, a horrible death, but the two things, he had to die to pay for sin. He's the whole burnt offering. But he rose from the dead, again, he gives us life. And then when we left there, the nuns were passing out ways of salvation. Well, it was like what you did, you work for salvation. Now, you know that, raised that way. You don't work for salvation, it's a free gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. If you don't work for it, if you work for it, it's a debt that he owes you. But if you don't work for it, it's a free gift. So he said, I've set before you life and death. Choose life that you may, and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your father, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Now, it didn't mean that he was physically unable to take them and lead them into the promised land. He was physically able. He was his, all of his strength and all of his facilities were intact. He could have led them in, but because of his sin in striking the rock twice, God said the rock would be smitten once. Jesus would be smitten on the cross once, not twice. And you broke the type. You can't go into the promised land. He knew that. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy those nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them, all these Canaanites, like he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and their land on the east of the Jordan when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage. For you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi. Now, this is not on the stones. This is a, a law that's written on those big stones that were, were whitewashed. And this was placed beside the ark. The Ten Commandments on stone were placed inside of the ark. This is on the side of it. So it's different. So Moses wrote this law, delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the ark and the covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time, in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, so he makes it very clear when it is in the fall, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together. So at the Feast of Tabernacles, they had to gather and listen to the entire law of Moses that we've read in Deuteronomy. Read all this law before Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones and the stranger who's within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of meeting, that I may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud, 
and the pillar of cloud stood before the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land, where they go to be among them. And your people will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day, because of all the evil which they have done, in that they have turned to other gods. Now therefore, write down this song, for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. So God tells Moses what this song is to be. Now this is the song of Moses that they were to repeat and memorize. This song, teach it to the children of Israel, put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me, God says, against the children of Israel. When I brought them to the land, flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten, and they filled themselves, and grown fat. Then they will turn to other gods. See, when everything is going well, they'll forget the Lord. They'll turn to other gods and serve them, and they will provoke me and break my covenant. Then it shall be, when many evils and troubles have come upon them, that this song will testify against them as a witness, for it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants. For I know the inclination of their behavior today, even before I brought them to the land of which I swore to give them. I know their inclination is to worship the gods of the people in the land. Therefore Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. Then he inaugurated Joshua the son of Nun and said, Joshua, be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land of which I swore to them, and I will be with you. So it was when Moses had completed writing the words of the law in a book, when they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law. Now, maybe it isn't the one that's on the stone, but it must have been a scroll. And put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. For I know your rebellion. I know your stiff neck. If today, while I'm yet alive with you, you've been rebellious against the Lord, how much more after my death. Gather to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their hearing and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I've commanded you and evil will befall you in the latter days. Now the latter days always refers to the time of the tribulation and then moves on into the kingdom. So we've seen uh, in this Larkin book that Lou was writing to me about, there's a wonderful thing about the wandering Jew, how in many of the lands during these 2,000 years or 3,000, that there's been one Jew left in the land of England or two Jews left in the land of Spain. They've been persecuted, killed, and have to get out. So I know that after my day, this evil will befall you in the latter days because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. Then Moses spoke in the hearing of all the congregation of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. Here's his song. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching, Moses said, drop as a rain, and my speech distill as a dew, as raindrops on the tender herb and as showers on the grass. For I proclaim the name of the Lord Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. They have corrupted themselves. They are not his children because of their blemish. A perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you, your elders, and they will tell you that when the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations in Genesis chapter 11, when he separated the sons of Adam, 
He set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. See, isn't that wonderful? He didn't set it according to the Sodomites or any, any other nation except Israel. He set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is a place of his inheritance. God found Jacob in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, as an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. So the Lord alone led them. And there was no foreign God with him. He made Israel ride in the heights of the earth that he might eat the produce of the field. He made him draw honey from the rock. This is prophetic. And oil from the flinty rock. And Dr. Archer's trying to tell me that this is olive oil. You don't get olive oil out of flinty rock. But what kind of oil do you get? The kind that drives all the machinery. Oil from the flinty rock. Courage from the cattle. Milk of the flock with fat of rams, rams of the breed of Bashan, and goats with the choicest wheat, and you drank wine the blood of grapes. But Jeshurun, and that's a name that God uses, the upright one, that's Israel. But Israel grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, you grew thick. You're covered with fat. Then Israel forsook God who made him, and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods, with abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons. First Corinthians 10 says that behind every idol is a demon controlling. They sacrificed to demons and not to God. To gods they did not know. To new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. Of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful. You are forgotten the God who fathered you. And when the Lord saw it, he spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. But I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. And Paul quotes this in Romans. Who's that? We provoke Jewish people to jealousy. The church does. Because... We have something they don't have. We know something about Jesus that they've rejected. I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation, for a fire is kindled in my anger and shall burn to the lowest hell. It shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap disasters upon them. I will spend my arrows upon them. They shall be wasted with hunger, devoured by pestilence, and bitter destruction. I will also send against them the teeth of beasts with the poison of serpents of the dust. The sword shall destroy outside. There shall be terror within. For the young man and the virgin, the nursing child with the man of gray hairs, I would have said, I will dash them in pieces and make the memory of them to cease from among men. Had I not feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say, our hand is high. And it's not the Lord that has done all this. For they are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How could one chase a thousand and put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had surrendered them? For their rock is not like our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. For their vine is the vine of Sodom, and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall, their clusters of bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and their cruel venom of cobras. Is this not laid up in store with me, sealed up among my treasures? Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So vengeance is mine and recompense. This is quoted in Hebrews 10 and Romans 12. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand. And the things to come hasten upon them, for the Lord will judge his people. And then Paul uses this in Romans 10, that if we turn our backs on him, we'll be judged too by him. The Lord will judge his people. Not that you lose your salvation. You cannot lose what is eternal, but you can be punished by the Lord. 
and have compassion on his servant when he sees that their power is gone and there's no one remaining bond or free. He will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they sought refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise and help you and be your refuge. Now see that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. You must read again Isaiah 41 and 43. He said, I kill, I make alive, I wound and I heal, nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. For I lift my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever, if I whet my glittering sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance. This reminds me of Revelation 19 when Jesus is going to come back with his glittering sword and destroy all of his enemies when he comes at the second coming but not at the rapture. The rapture is secret and will be caught up seven years before he comes after he whets his glittering sword. My hand takes hold on judgment. I will render vengeance to my enemies. I will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and of captives from the heads of the, of the leaders of the enemy. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance on his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. And then the Dead Sea Scrolls add here, and let all the angels worship him. Now that's from the Septuagint that quotes the Dead Sea Scrolls. There's a lot in the Septuagint that you and I need to read. So Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel, and he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. For it's not a futile thing for you, because it's your life. See, it looks forward to what's going to happen in the future when his second coming will come with all of his saints. It's your life, and by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. Then the Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, Go up this mountain of Abarim, Mount Nebo. So he said, Turn around, Moses, and look back. See this huge mountain of Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, across from Jericho. View, you go up there and look at the land which I give to the children of Israel as a possession, and die on the mountain which you ascend, and be gathered to your people, just as Aaron, your brother, died on Mount Hor, and was gathered to his people, because you trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, because you didn't hallow me in the midst of the children of Israel. Yet you shall see the land before you, though you shall not go there into the land which I am giving to the children of Israel. Now, this looks ahead to the millennial blessing. So this is the blessing which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. So before he died, before he even went up to Mount Nebo, he said, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. So this is a review a little bit about their trek from Mount Sinai up toward the promised land. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of his angels, holy ones. From his right hand came a fiery law for them. Yes, he loves his people, and all his saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. Moses commanded the law for us, a heritage of the congregation of Israel. And he was king in Jeshurun, the upright ones. He was king of Israel when the leaders of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. Now he starts with the 12 tribes, and not all of them are mentioned. So this is different than Genesis 49, when Jacob gives his dying blessing. So this is Moses' dying blessing. Write in your Bible, in your margin, Genesis 29, because that's the other place that tells many prophetic things about these 12 tribes. Let Reuben live and not die nor let his men be few. And this be said of Judah, whose mother was Leah. Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him to his people. Let his hands be sufficient for him, and may you be a help against his enemy. Now, Simeon isn't mentioned, but he's reckoned with Judah as a portion of his land was in Judah. But he is in Genesis. 
and of Levi, he said, let your thummim and urim, that's what they wore in the high priest's breastplate that gave an answer of yes or no, maybe lit up, maybe spoke of what, whether, should I go to battle, Lord? And the light would light up and maybe say, yes, go to battle, David, <laughs> or don't go to battle. Or will they turn against me? Yes, they'll turn against you. These people will. So that's what the Urim and Thummim. Let your Urim and Thummim be with the Holy One, whom you tested at Massa, and with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah, who says of his father and mother, I have not seen them, nor did he acknowledge his brothers or know his own children. For they had observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your judgment and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you. This is all the Levitical, the priesthood. And a whole burnt off sacrifice on your altar. Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the work of his hand. Strike the loins of those who rise against him and of those who hate him, that they rise not again. Of Benjamin, he said. Now, Benjamin was the child that Rachel bore, and she died in childbirth. Of Benjamin, he said, the beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him who shelters him all the day long, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. King Saul came from Benjamin, and the apostle Paul came from the tribe of Benjamin. And of Joseph, he said, and his mother was Rachel also, blessed of the Lord is his land, with the precious things of heaven, with the dew and the deep lying beneath. So on Joseph's property, there's probably a lot of oil deep down under with the precious fruits of the sun, with the precious produce of the months. So the produce that they're feeding Europe with, with the best things of the ancient mountains, with the precious things of the everlasting hills, with the precious things of the earth and its fullness. So with the favor of him who dwelt in the bush, let the blessing come on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. His glory is like a firstborn bull. Taurus, the bull, this one with the horn, was on the standard of Joseph, of Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's children. See, Ephraim was one horn and Manasseh was the other, and you can see it here, the horns of the bull. And his horns are like the horns of a wild ox. Together with them he shall push the peoples or gore them to the ends of the earth. They are the ten thousands of Ephraim and the thousands of Manasseh. And of Zebulun, his mother was Leah, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and Issachar in your tents. They shall call the peoples to the mountains. They shall offer sacrifices of righteousness, for they shall partake of the abundance of the seas. Now these were landlocked people for a time, but they pushed north and became seafaring. For they shall partake the abundance of the seas and of the treasures hidden in the sand. So now the abundance of the seas in their land is gas that they found today and oil in the sand. And of Gad, he said, blessed is he who enlarges Gad. He dwells as a lion and then tears the arm and crown of his head. He provided the first part for himself because a lawgiver's portion was reserved there. He came with the heads of the people. He administered the justice of the Lord and his judgments with Israel. This is Gad. And of Dan, he said, his mother was Bilhah. Dan is a lion's whelp. He shall leap from Bashan. And of Naphtali, his mother was Bilhah also. So Naphtali, O Naphtali, satisfied with favor, full of the blessing of the Lord, possess the west and the south. So this is south of the Sea of Galilee. And of Asher, whose mother was Zilpah, Leah's maid, Asher is most blessed of sons. Let him be favored by his brothers and let him dip his foot in oil. And the Hebrew word is shiman, and it's the same word in Deuteronomy 32, oil out of the flinty rock. This is not olive oil. You don't dip your foot in olive oil. You reach up and get olives off of the tree, but you get the other kind of oil out of the sand and out of the earth. Your sandals shall be iron and bronze. As your days, so shall your strength be. There's no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to help you and in his excellency on the clouds. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, destroy. Then Israel shall dwell in safety, the fountain of Israel alone in a land of grain and new wine. This is about the millennial prosperity 
his heavens shall also drop dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you, and you shall tread down their high places. Now our time is up, and we have just a little bit left. Maybe we'll take this next week and move on into the first part of Joshua. We'll just do a little bit, get them into the land, and then we'll move on. I thought maybe, I was talking to Dr. Ryrie this week, and he is teaching every Sunday night at First Baptist. I said, what are you teaching? He said, First Corinthians. So I thought maybe that'd be good for us to teach First Corinthians. First and Second Corinthians, a lot in there that we need to talk about. So Lord, bless us today as we look at these things and think about these things and think about all the prophecy that is implied in these things that are said by Moses to the 12 tribes, the things that we see happening before our eyes. So we feel like we are in the very end of this age before the rapture will happen and the Lord will come back and set up his kingdom. We pray that you will hasten that day in Jesus' name. Amen. Any questions on any of this? Oh, Posey was saying to me that I didn't make clear to you something about the cities of refuge. Is there any point that we can point to in the Bible that says that that is what's going to happen? Or is, this, is there any documentation that says that the Syrian... Oh, Syria. Well, the documentation for Syria is in Daniel well, chapter 8. But... You have to decide which of the four generals of Alexander, but the one that's most logical, because we spread last week that they were to repeat when they got in the land, your father was a Syrian ready to perish. Yeah, so, but what, you know, the Syrian or whoever, the Antichrist that pursues... So I think that when you see a group of people, that's what Larkin says, when you see a group of people fleeing from an avenger of blood which is in the 12th chapter of Revelation. Should we go through that chapter next week first? Okay. Remind me, will you? We'll take this first, and then if there's time left, we'll start Joshua a little bit, okay? Any other questions or comments? Yes. What was the word you used uh, in place of unicorn? My Bible said unicorn, but I couldn't hear it. Deuteronomy 33, The Hebrew word is R-H-E-E-M. What verse was it? Deuteronomy 33.17. 33.17. Together with them. Does your version say unicorn? This says, And his horns are like the horns of the wild ox. Reem, the Hebrew word is means for bull, for the wild bull. So that's what this unicorn was.